hello, hello, and welcome back to another video on this channel. As the title discusses, today we're going to be giving 10 tips about how you can get an offer from Oxbridge. And remember, we're not saying how to get into Oxbridge, because technically we haven't gotten in yet, but we have got offers. I am today joined by Warren Jew, a good friend who has joined me in the Oxbridge community so far. And today we're going to be talking about the 10 things in our lives which really, really helped us get towards this Oxbridge goal and really achieve it. I mean, of course, these goals and these tips are always individual and we wouldn't be going in depth into them because, of course, if you want us to go more in depth, we will be able to make more videos for you. But before we get into it, Warren Jew, how are you? And how do you feel like you've gotten into Oxbridge? I'm, I'm feeling great. It's, it's a great relief. I don't think I don't think I, I'm, I have this elevated ecstasy for very long, but it's, it's just like there's a big... A, all the tension has been relieved. And now I think I'm back to my normal self after... The, the great anticipation. Would you exp would you perhaps um compare this to the feeling of when you're carrying a rock up a hill, perhaps? But then at the end of the day, you 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 feel the tension being released in the end, even though yeah, that, you, you don't actually, really feel it in the beginning. That's actually the expression I wanted to use, but it was in Chinese. So in Chinese, you would describe this release of tension as uh the, the falling down of a rock, and I I think it's exactly the same. It's almost like the tension of um. Let's say you, you 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 text your crush. I don't know, not text. You just tell your crush something. It's like you, you ask out your crush, and you you it's in the it's in the gap between you asking your crush out and them responding. I think that's the tension that has been plaguing plaguing me. I'm not sure whether you feel the same thing when waiting for the offer. Yes, I definitely think that there is a similar experience, and perhaps we could talk more about this experience in more depth in another video because that's not really uh, what we're trying to talk about here. But there definitely was that feeling where you don't—it doesn't really sit on you until the last day when you realize it actually was on you the entire time, and then it releases when you get the offer yeah. back. Now, now let's start getting into this video and start off with a tip. We ba we basically have ten tips we put together. Warren Jewess caught with five. I've got over five, and my first tip is to aim to get into Oxbridge. And you might say it's quite crazy. What do you mean aim to get into Oxbridge? But it really just means if you are going to apply to Oxbridge, if you want to get in, set that as your standard, set that as your goal. Not to say, well, that is the only meaning for my life for the next few years, because if you get rejected, you're going to be really sad, of course. But, but rather to say, aspire to get into Oxbridge, because I think that if you don't enter that mentality to say, I have to aim towards that certain level, you will not reach there in the long term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think we can make a nice distinction. And as you know, since I'm a philosophy student, I love making distinctions between uh, wanting something and willing something. When, when, when I think when Josh says that you should aim to get into Oxbridge, what he's saying is you have to will to get into Oxbridge rather than just wanting it in this almost ironical way, right? We, we all like to say, oh, I'm just trying, trying to get into Oxbridge, but of course I, I won't be so good. It's fine if I don't really try. Oh, if it's fine that, that I'm, I haven't got in because I've actually now tried and put my heart into it. And we're always almost put giving us a safety, safety net behind of saying, well, I shouldn't try my best. So if I really fail, I'm, my entire existence is not invalidated. But rather, I think one, one should, as Josh said, aim and really will to, to try one's best to, to, to get into Oxbridge. And, of, mm -hmm. and I think there's also another part maybe of just whilst you're waiting, and waiting for the results. You can also think also think about plan B. So as as well as aiming towards getting into Oxbridge, also thinking about what you would do if you fail. Because mm -hmm. that, that's also a probability. No one can say that they can get in 100%. 
I think that what you say is definitely very helpful. And that thing of the probability is also very good. And it's one of those things where you think about, well, why am I applying to Oxbridge or maybe Princeton or Yale in the US equivalent, which my dear friend got deferred to from, unfortunately. <laughs> but essentially, it is the idea that, well, why are you applying to Princeton? Are you applying to it just because, oh, I just, I may as well apply to that school? Or do I really want or will to get into that school? And if you're just applying it for the sake of getting in, then, I, then you really have to question your kind of commitment to really getting in and you and that would definitely if you're thinking well I'm going to do it for the sake of I may as well put it on the top of my UCAS perhaps that kind of extra I'm going to do it for the sake of doing it is going to create a psychological hindrance for yourself so you have to first mm-hmm. commit to it I will to, and of course think about that second choice and which you should put in your UCAS like just in case you don't get in maybe like a St Andrews or a Durham or a maybe even an Imperial or which are very, very reputable universities as well. So you definitely have to have that balance as well, like what Warren said. Well, I, I think that's a gr- great segue to the se- my, mm-hmm. my second tip, the pit tip, my first tip, uh, our collectively second tip, which is choose a subject you love. As in, when, I think the, the biggest barrier to getting into Oxford is not really sort of how smart you are or how, how naturally talented you are at something, but rather just how much time you're spending with the subject to really internalize it and l- allow it to be- become part of you. And if you don't really choose a subject you love, then you won't have a chance. You won't want to spend so much time with it and you won't be, be able to gain so much proficiency in the subject. And I think there's also another thing about choosing a subject you, you love. That is, it's it's never too late. Of course, there's, there's a time where if, if you're starting maybe two, three months before the actual interview, then it really is too late. But if, let's say you have a year's period, I think that's, almost enough if you have a subject that you really love to get acquainted acquainted with it to a sufficient degree in order to get into Oxbridge. But of course, what I mean is maybe you really love a subject and you spend maybe 10 hours a day doing it. In a year, you, you'll, you'll get a long way and you, you'll be able to be prepared for Oxford. So choose a subject you love and, and, and do it. And, and this actually leads to our third tip. Yes, that does indeed. I, I was about to say that leads exactly to the my third or my second idea, which is aim single-mindedly at the subject that you enjoy. And I was discussing with a friend in school the other day, and we were, and we were talking about this idea. There's book smart, and then there's talent, or or maybe not even just talent, because I don't really believe in this entire talent defines who you are kind of thing. But there's there's book smart and smart smart, yeah, if, if that's how you, how you want to call it. You all know the people who could sit an exam, get like full marks for each of them. But are they really, really smart on the on the next level? Do they really delve into their topic further? Well, not necessarily. You have to really think about, well, if you love a certain topic, are you really pursuing it? Are you really working hard at it? Is that what you're trying to work towards? And if you could look at kind of my my development, you could look at Warren's as well. I'm sure he could tell you the same thing is that, well, we both love what we're studying. We both love philosophy and theology. We we try to live and breathe it, try to embody it to our lives, what we think we try to put into our lives. I mean, Warren Jew, he could tell you a bit about it later, although I could, I might, I'll probably get him on for another video to talk about how he he starved himself for three days just to embody his um, in career about fasting. So there definitely is an idea that once you set your mind on a target, you really have to go for it. And this ties into perhaps my previous video where I talked about you have to aim for the highest ideal. You shouldn't just say, well, oh, my ideal is here. My goal is here. But it's not really something I'm kind of fully certain about. If you're going to do something, be certain about what you're doing and use that certainty as the guide for you to get to a certain area. 
Yeah, yes, I completely agree. And when you're talking about pursuing an ideal, there is a natural fear associated with it. Because what what is all awe-inspiring and what is sublime also comes with it a certain fear. And it is this fear that makes it sublime. But what we one maybe wants to do, one needs to do rather, is to to overcome the fear of failure and really pursue single-mindedly at it, as we said before. And I think this links perfectly to our, our first fourth tip, which is pursue your passion beyond the curriculum. As Josh said, there's the distinction between book smart and, and really smart smart. And what and well, we have our school, we have 20, 30 people applying to Oxbridge. All of them get, get full marks, uh, uh, get, I guess, the highest grade for their predicted grades. Mm -hmm. And yeah. a lot of them didn't get in. Why? I, I think it's there's a certain fixation on remembering every single fact, no matter how trivial it is for the exam. And one does it at the expense of really developing one's intellectual capability, which is really what uh, Oxbridge interviews are testing you. They, they, don't, they don't care if you know a, an esoteric fact about Descartes, uh, Descartes' metaphysics. What they want you to be is someone who can think independently. And to do so, I think you really have to pursue beyond the curriculum rather than just constrict yourself in, in a realm of facts. And perhaps to develop on that, we're not saying necessarily pursue your passion beyond the curriculum in all the topics or all the subjects you're taking. There's always going to be a subject you don't like. For example, maybe I don't really like uh, some parts of mathematics or, or someone else might say I don't really like some parts of their, their English course, maybe. And maybe that's the case for them. Right. And it's not to say, well, pursue your passion beyond all the curriculum and going into depth and absolutely everything. No, but rather to look at what you do enjoy, what you do love, what you're interacting with and say, well, where does my curriculum lie? That's the bounds of the curriculum. But I also have I, I have that intellectual curiosity to go beyond it, to really develop that further. And, and a very way, good way to do it, I think, is actually the fifth tip that we're discussing, which is really find a dialogue partner or a partner to discuss the, your topic, your, your, your kind of your interest with. And, and of course, you could, uh, Warren is my um, dialogue partner, and you could see loads of um, analogues or um, and loads of different discussions that we've had on our channel. You could go to my um, playlist called Collabs or some of the the Bible series that we've done together. We we talk a lot about different concepts. And, and this is really one way where you can really test your ideas beyond the curriculum to really test yourself in discussion. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, completely. And also that leads on perfectly to the sixth tip, which is that if you don't have a partner, which sometimes if you're studying for a really esoteric topic, or, or due to maybe some life circumstances, you might not be able to find one in real life. What You can still learn to talk to yourself and dwell with yourself still. I think because now there's a lot of different resources online, there, there's tons of YouTube channels about all kinds of things. And as, as we said before, to, to aim single-mindedly at that thing, what, what I guess one can do is, even if you don't have a dialogue partner, you can find different YouTube videos and and watch it, immerse in it. Uh, listen to listen to podcasts when you're walking. And what I find most helpful about this, and I think it is doing this that mimics a dialogue, is sometimes after listening to a, a certain concept, pause the video, pause the podcast, or just put your book down for a bit and just think through the concept. Think about how you're going to explain it to someone else, how you're going to explain it to yourself. Because a lot of times we have all of these thoughts inside our heads. We think that we understand a certain thing, a certain concept. And then when we try to really articulate it out, we realize that, that we have an insufficient understanding. And that's the real benefit of having it uh, being in dialogue, to be forced to, to 
go beyond one's understanding. And I think one can still do it by oneself, even though it's perhaps harder by just looking at all kinds of resources, pursuing uh, maybe online or in books and really dedicatedly reflect on them rather than just reading through again and again and again. I definitely agree with you. And we say if you don't have a partner, I'm not sure if he's making a subtle hint to me for me abandoning him uh, most of the time when he asked me for a discussion or dialogues. But in, indeed, I think that this ties in very closely the idea of of having to interact personally with your subject of interest is is really my seventh tip, which is touch the infinity of your subject before you sleep. And, and this is one of the lingo that me and Warren used together to touch the infinity. And essentially what this means is that you really have to go in depth and really interact not only with the world around you or those, the concepts that you see in the world, but also within yourself and how, how while you're interacting the world, you also have to find a way to both interact with the world and also yourself at the same time. And, and that balance is just something which is so important to maintain and really like figure out about the subject that you're interested in either your philosophy maybe you're thinking about well how is the concept that i'm interacting with applicable to my life or or perhaps if you're into engineering or maybe music for example how is that music applicable to my life how is that engineering applicable to my life and really and really think about this application constantly and meditate upon it. and that will really allow you to First of all, understand whether you're actually interested in the topic, because a lot of times you could say, oh, I have an interest in this. I read a few books and then actually turns out you don't have interest when you actually start discussing it. So by really thinking about its applications to your life, by really meditating on this, you can then figure out whether you actually enjoy it or not. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think this is something about one of one of the big mistakes that I think people make is they demarcate learning with everything else that they're doing. So they're like, OK, I have now two hours of learning. Uh, learning space on Saturday. And after I finish my two hours of dedicated learning time, I'll just go out, hang around, do other things, and then, and then separate my learning time with all my extracurricular, uh, maybe uh, leisure time. But what, what one should do, and just as Josh said, is really take one's learning into one's entire life. And this is my eighth tip, our eighth tip, which is constantly reflect on what you've learned until it becomes a part of you. And what I mean by making it a part of you is you're, you're seeing through the entire world through every single thing that you're doing or try to see everything that you're doing through the, the lens of the topic that you're engaging in i'm not saying that you should if you're <laughs> i'm not sure if let, let's say you're studying physics i'm not saying that you should treat your treat your mom as just a collection of <laughs> of atoms hitting around each other <laughs> but what i'm saying is try to think about how you're going to look at your mom if you're a physics student or you're a biology student and and you learn learn to always almost how do i switch the gist out of what you're doing as in when you're looking at something you can look at something normally but you, you can also put on your physics lens your biology lens your philosophy lens and look at this phenomenon from a different way and what you're training in, in the eighth tip of constantly reflect on what you've learned so that it becomes a part of you is to is to learn to be a physician no, not physician, a physicist, to learn to be a physicist or a biologist or, or a philosopher by, by knowing how to put on the lens and how to see your entire world with, with that lens. Because I think what that can help you to do is to prepare for the interview, with which I know Josh has something to say in the next step. Because what, what you want to do when you're doing the interview is that, is that they're going to throw you a lot of curveball questions, things that are not talked about or, or that you've never read about or not talked about in class. And what you want to do is to be able to rapidly 
concept switch and put on your philosopher lens, put on your biologist lens and to examine the issue at hand using that lens and give a sufficient answer. What I want to see is that you're thinking really like a person who's interested and who's living the subject that you're, you're about to study for the next three or four years of your life. Mm -hmm. And this ties in perfectly for my ninth tip, which is don't prepare for the interview. And you might think I am absolutely insane, but I do think it is quite reasonable to not prepare for the interview in the sense that if you think that you have to read extra books a few days before the interview, you probably haven't prepared enough because at the end of the day, the interview isn't there to test oh, exactly how much knowledge you know about the topic or how many books have you read, but rather how do you actually interact with it? That's something you build in over time. It's not something you cram a day before the interview. You see, oh, my interviewee is this professor, that professor. Then, oh, I now need to be able to talk about this, their favorite topic to a PhD level. That's that's definitely not what they're trying to get into. But rather, what you want to do is to have this innate kind of built-in knowledge that you already have, because that will demonstrate that you've actually been interested in this topic before. Because if you're only saying, well, oh, I need to prepare so much about philosophy just before my interview. Have you really been that interested in philosophy before the interview? There is definitely that question that you have to ask yourselves if you do get into that situation. Well, I, I think I would agree with Josh for a bit, but I also respectfully disagree with him. I think what he is saying is that you shouldn't go into a subject that you have to learn intensively to, to cram in uh, everything before the interview to, to feel confident in going into the interview. And I think this this goes back to our first few tips about aiming single hand single-mindedly at a subject you love. However, I think there are, are still concrete ways that you can prepare for your interview that, that, that can really help you. And I, one thing I think would really help is not to cram everything in and cram as much knowledge into your head as possible before the interview, but rather to, to, to try to, I guess, organize all, all, everything that you know and everything that you've learned about the subject in order for you to better draw on different aspects as quickly as possible in the interview. For example, for me, before the interview, and I found this quite helpful, I, I wrote down all the really big topics in, uh, in philosophy, and then I, I tried to create a mind map of all the concepts inside that I know and how they relate to each other and why are they important and what do I think about each of those topics. And it, it did help me when I actually went into the interview because there were, there were some, of, some parts of the interview, they just asked me a question that, that was like, oh yeah, I, I thought about this before already. So I think rather than cramming in everything, which is what Josh does not advise doing, you should just organize everything in your head so you become a better thinker when you step in and do your 30 minutes of interview. I definitely agree with you. And I think that this ties perfectly back into our fifth point about find a dialogue partner to discuss your topic. Before we had our interviews, we had uh, quite a few helpful sessions where I acted and pretended to be the interviewer to grill Warren Jew yeah. on different curveball questions. And and luckily, I mean, I tr I knew quite a lot. Not I wouldn't say a lot, but I knew sufficiently about the different topics that some of those interviewers were interested in. So I, I specifically asked that. I warned you about um, those questions, but definitely you want to find someone who's willing to interact with you, grill you for the interview, push you really hard, such that maybe when it comes to the interview, you're either already used to those questioning, or at least you're used to that kind of dialogue or uh, discussion mentality. Because I think a lot of times it's very easy for people to be able to be very smart in their certain areas, but not able to actually discuss it with others. For example, on our prefect team um, situations, a lot of times we are very bright people. Everyone's getting predicted A stars, or at least most people are predicted A stars or 
or like A's and A stars. So it's, and we have a very smart prefect team. The only problem is, is that they can't, for some reason, be able to disagree respectfully with each other. They keep on insulting each other, shouting at each other. And you look at the situation and you're like, well, these people are meant to be pretty smart. So then like, it, I think that illustrates perfectly. It's like, you could be all that smart. You can have all the preparation, but if you're not used to the situations where you're sometimes uncomfortable in, or you feel a bit out of your comfort zone, you're not going to be able to perform at your best. And it's just so important to be able to prepare in the long way for for just those dialogues in general. And it will probably help you very strongly in life as well. Well, I think that's a great place to end. That, that was a wonderful monologue. Josh, you want to cue the outro? Indeed. I normally do the outro here because Warren Jew is um, quite uh, inconsistent when it comes to outros or intros for that matter. But in, to, to conclude, I hope you enjoyed this video. If you enjoyed this video, make sure to like and subscribe. Stay safe, my friends. I'll see you in the next one. Thank you for watching. If you want more ideas, let me know in the comments below. Stay safe. I'll see you in the next one. Thank you for watching.